Well, we are at Romans chapter 7, and as you can tell from our title, that it speaks to the struggle that we go through as Christians, uh, doing the thing that you don't want to do. Uh, and if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, you know exactly that particular struggle. Uh, Paul writing here, he says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband uh, as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law uh, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, uh, which were aroused by the law, uh, we're at work in our members, that is, in our body, to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to that wherein we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. And what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, certainly not. On the contrary, uh, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity uh, by or through the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And I was alive once uh, without the law, or outside of the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion uh, by or through the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Uh, therefore, the law is holy, the commandment holy, just, and good. Has then that which is, was good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin. That might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin uh, through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Uh, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. And if, if then I do what I, I uh, will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil uh, that I will not to do, I, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so I find then a law, a principle, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man or the spiritual man. But I see another law, another principle in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Lord, we, we look to you. And Father, we resonate, Lord, with the words that are spoken here by Paul. Lord, as we consider, Lord, that internal struggle that we have. Lord, at so often at times we, we delight, Lord, in the law of God. But yet when it comes to performing it, when it comes to doing it, when it comes to yielding our life to you, Lord, therein is such a great struggle at times. 
And so I pray, Father, we look to you this morning. Lord, uh, give us, we pray, insight uh, into these matters. Lord, we thank you that you have called us, Lord, to victory. Lord, even though there will be setbacks, there will be failures, there will be struggles, there will be warfare. Yet we know that, Lord, as we uh, consider what you have done for us on the cross, that even though there will be skirmishes that we lose, we thank you the war has been won for us because of what you have done for us, Lord Jesus, upon the cross. So, Father, I thank you for those that are here today. And, Lord, I pray as we open up these things now that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, grant to us, I pray, insight, Lord, and, uh, and the ability, Father, to apply, Lord, and understand these things in a, in a deeper way. So, Father, we thank you. We commit, Lord, this time to you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The scholars oftentimes uh, disagree on who this is speaking to. Uh, they believe there's, that it's speaking to one of three different people. They think, it's, they think perhaps it's Paul uh, speaking of his uh, former experience, you know, as a uh, person who had some kind of biblical understanding and so forth. Uh, the struggle that he had before Christ. Uh, the second position is, uh, it's speaking to the carnal Christian. And uh, the third position is, it's speaking to you and I, it's the normal Christian experience. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, I believe it speaks to all three. Uh, you know, God's word is comprehensive, amen? And uh, no matter where we are in our particular uh, experience with the Lord, you know, God has a wonderful way of speaking his truth, you know, into our life and into our particular situation. And, and one of the reasons I really believe it's, it's, it's a normal Christian experience because Paul uh, uses the term I 25 times. Uh, he uses 11 other personal pronouns speaking of his particular uh, situation. Uh, and so here he speaks basically to us in the first person singular. He also speaks to us in the Greek present tense. Uh, so this is Paul. This is Paul's particular experience and the things uh, that he is going through uh, and wanting to share these things with us. Um, you know, sometimes I think if, you know, if we were to think it's only related to a certain, you know, situation uh, to a person who was maybe uh, uh, had some biblical background uh, but didn't come to Christ, which really uh, eliminates a whole lot of people. Uh, but I think it can speak to those. I think it can speak to all three of those particular issues. I think it speaks to the carnal person. Uh, the person who knows Christ, and you know they're dealing with some carnality, some issues in their life. Uh, I think sometimes we don't understand the struggle that we go through as believers, and I'm so thankful for this seventh chapter because it just uh, it illuminates you know the things that you and I go through. Uh, like Paul is saying here, you know we have a delight in one sense uh, to do God's will, and that and yet on the other hand we can make such incredibly carnal decisions. And our life can be going in just the opposite direction of what, where we want it to go. Uh, and so as we read this, we realize, wow, this is the normative Christian experience. is isn't just, you know, some, I, I think sometimes as we go through things, we think, does anybody else go through this? Uh, does anybody else, you know, wrestle? Uh, am I such a uh, sub-spiritual species uh, that I wrestle and struggle, you know, in my experience with the Lord? Uh, and if you are struggling, you know what? Praise God for that. Uh, praise God that uh, there's the life of God in you, uh, and you just don't, you know, like before we knew Christ, what did you do? You just gave in, right? Because uh, that's the culture. That's, that's our society. Um, it encur encourages us in any kind of carnal activity, just basically telling us, yeah, it's okay. Whatever feels good, kind of do it. Uh, but, you know, we realize we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, uh, and there's a struggle that takes place um, if, you know... Um, we're backsliding or we want to maybe revert to, you know, that can happen to us as believers. We can revert to old patterns of behavior that once really had a you know, grip and a power uh, upon our lives. Now, he, he begins here with this. It's an interesting kind of marriage analogy uh, that he gives to us here in this first chapter. And it's basically what he's, what he's uh, uh, you know, making this metaphorical thing, this analogy about is basically our relationship with the law of Moses are with the law of God. It speaks, that's what he's basically speaking to here. And he's saying here, a woman is bound to her husband, uh, basically, you know, for life. And she's free when he dies. Uh, and, the, and, and the wife is the, the, she is the believer 
uh, and, the, and the law basically is the husband. But there's one problem there. The law does not die. So it necessitates her dying. Uh, and we see that here. That's what Paul basically tells us here over in verse 4, uh, that we have basically, we have, uh, we've become dead to the law through Christ and what he has done uh, for us. And of course, the result here is given also to in verse 6, that because of this, we have a new relationship. We have a new relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a dynamic new relationship where we have power now uh, in our lives to do things and to serve in which we never could do that before. He explains a little bit further in verse 7 here of how sin relates to the law, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of insightful here because, again, Paul is speaking here out of his own particular experience and what he's had to go through and what he has struggled through. Um, and basically, the, the law has revealed sin. We saw that, remember, in chapter 3, verse 20, uh, that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But also, too, he's telling us here, the law also activates sin. Uh, it, it takes occasion or opportunity or advantage, uh, you know, when the law is presented to us. Um, you know, Augustine said this is kind of an interesting statement that he makes. He says, the desire to steal was awakened to me simply by the prohibition of stealing. You know, it's just like, you know, we see that sign, you know, don't do this. What do you want to do? Oftentimes, you just want to do that very thing. And, and Augustine goes on to share a story about um, his neighbor had an orchard. And uh, uh, he just, he stole all kinds of fruit from his neighbor, not because he was hungry, not because he even needed it, but, he, but he, after he stole it, he just, he didn't eat it. He threw it to the pigs. Um, and, and there's something in us, there's a propensity at times in us uh, to do things that are just, you know, they're just against the will of God, against the purpose of God. I think we saw it more clearly, you know, when we were unbelievers. Uh, but there's still a residue of that uh, that takes place within our particular experience. Uh, sometimes we feel maybe just, uh, you know, we feel tempted. Uh, we feel prompted to do something uh, that is according to the way we used to think, the way we used to live. And we've got a decision. Remember we talked about in chapter 6 last week, sin shall not have dominion over us. Um, you can take that one to the bank. You, you, can, you, can, you can check that one into the bank because it's a, a wonderful promise. Um, yes, sin can dominate the believer, but it doesn't have to. Uh, sin does, to more or less a degree, to, uh, you know, dominate or control unbelievers. Uh, but for you and I, it does not have to dominate and control and work in our life in that kind of way. He goes on to say, basically, in verse 11, sin eventually deceived him and it killed him. Uh, now, as we look here, uh, verses uh, 7 through 14, uh, basically describes his experience of defeat, I believe, before Christ. So as we move now into chapter 15, I believe here Paul is speaking about the struggle that he had and that we will have with our old nature now that we are in Christ. Uh, you know, before we knew Christ, it wasn't a struggle, was it? Was it really a struggle before we knew Christ um, to want to glorify him, to want to honor him? No. Uh, we just kind of capitulated. We kind of just sort of caved in. We, give, we gave in to whatever was, you know, popular, whatever we felt, you know, whatever kind of impulse that we felt, whatever the, um, the, the mandate of the culture was around us, you know. We, we, we may, it's this interesting thing before Christ, how quickly, you know, we have this thing called situation ethics. And you could, you know, we could have grown up with a certain kind of ethical background, a certain kind of morality. But interesting without Christ, how quickly we cast that off. I, I, I see that all the time with Christian kids from families. They grow, they grow up in a Christian home. Maybe they go to Christian school. They've gone, you know, they cycle through so many years of, of uh, Sunday school and so forth. But as soon as they get out on their own, uh, it's as if they cast off the restraints of what, you know, of that morality that they grew up with. You know, all of a sudden now they're going to experiment. Um, and particularly that's going to happen if they're not born again. Um, that's why, you know, we want to see our kids get saved before they leave our home. Uh, it isn't going to happen by osmosis. Uh, isn't just going to happen because, uh, you know, they're on the coattails of our faith kind of a thing. They grew up in our home, and after all, all the money we invested sent them to Christian school, they ought to be saved, kind of a thing. But uh, uh, it doesn't work that way, does it? We have to invest time. Uh, we need to, you know, you know get down heart to heart uh, with them, and that's an investment, uh, isn't it, of our time and, and to get to know our kids in that particular way. 
Now, Paul says here in verse 15, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. So again, this can only really be the spiritual person who's wrestling. He's wrestling with the wrong desire, with those temptations that face us, with our old propensities. Remember, we have, all, you know, we have certain tendencies, don't we? Each one of us. You know, they may be a little bit different, okay? Uh, but we have these propensities and these desires to do things uh, that, you know, that uh, eventually are going to take us away from God and, uh, and can even eventually, if we allow them, plunge us into some kind of sin. You know, Paul says over in Galatians chapter 5, he's basically saying the same thing when he says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. The two are contrary one to the other, so that you do not do the things that you wish to do. And so this is, you know, a normal Christian experience uh, when we find this struggle taking place in our life. That's why it's important. Don't cave in. Don't just give in, uh, you know, to a desire. Uh, sometimes our flesh, our old nature, has very corrupt desires. Um, and that's where I think people, you know, oftentimes feel like, well, this is the way I am. I can't change myself. I have no power. Uh, people give in. I think that's one of, uh, one of the uh, issues uh, uh, that, uh, you know, people are facing with uh, sexual temptation uh, regarding the issues, uh, all, you know, the whole realm of sexual temptations, homosexuality you know, gender issues and that sort of thing, gender confusion, um, which we're seeing because our, our, we've gotten to that point in our culture and society that pretty much anything goes. So whatever you're kind of feeling, um, and uh, do you realize that they're now close to, I, I, I don't know how they do this, but there's close to 50 new genders uh, that, are, that are out there. Um, I, I didn't know that you could make up that many. Um, and it, but it's really sad, isn't it? It's sad because of the confusion. It's moral confusion. And, and that's why we need the Spirit of God in our lives. We need the Word of God in our hearts to, to guide us and to help us. Uh, we just can't give in to some kind of, you know, some kind of impulse or desire, um, you know, that, uh, you know, that we see taking place out there in the culture and out there in our world. And sometimes... Uh, I have seen uh, Christians, and I believe they are Christians. They've, they've made profession, um, uh, fellowshiped with us. Uh, we worshiped with them. And they have these internal struggles with these kind of issues, and they cave in, they give into it. Uh, and, of course, it takes them away from the fellowship of God's people uh, because they know what they're doing is simply, you know, not right. Um, and so it can happen. It can happen to us, you know, as a child of God. And we have to, we have to guard our hearts. You know, the Bible says guard your heart with all diligence. Because um, sometimes the things that can come out of our hearts are the things that, re, that, that appeal to our hearts uh, can be something so far from God's purpose and God's design uh, that he has for us. Uh, now, <clears throat> we get a clear sense here that he, he wants to please God. Uh, I don't see that in an unbeliever. Uh, I see that. That's why I believe this is Paul's personal testimony of his struggle. Uh, you don't see that really in the unbeliever. I know it was, it was never in my life, even though I had religious background. And many of us did. Uh, I had extensive religious background because I grew up in parochial schools, um, grade school, high school. Uh, went through, you know, all the regimens of uh, the Catholic Church and so forth. I had some background, but I really just never had that desire to really want to please God. It just simply was not there, and it, I, I, I find it very hard to, to find that in an unbeliever. Um, so listen to his frustration in verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, he discovered here that the law was holy, righteous, and good. Remember, they're looking at verse 12. Um, but he discovered also, too, how weak his flesh was. I think there's times when we get inspiration in the, out of the Bible, and it's like we agree with it, yay and amen. But even though we intellectually ascend it and agreed with it, for that truth to take place in our life is a whole other thing, isn't it? 
I think when, we, I think when we first get saved, was that we got we got all this head knowledge, right? You know, we can't we can't read the Bible. The no, I think the normal Christian experience is when you first get saved, you can't read the Bible enough. You just devour it. You know, just you know, you just can't get enough. You'll go to every Bible study uh, that they ever had. Uh, you're, you're constantly listening on the radio, and and because you know, it's just that void that you want to get filled up in your life. But then there comes a time where that tr- all those truths and things that you you know, even though you agree with them, and, and you and, and initially you think, okay, you know, I'm going to be just this perfect person. Can you remember thinking that as a new believer, or is it just me? And I had all this head knowledge and 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 just the sense of God's spirit upon my life, um, and my desires were changing, and all those sorts of things. Um, and you think, man. It's a cakewalk. And you see somebody struggling, you go, what's wrong with you? But then all of a sudden, the reality of life sets in. And I remember uh, an interesting thing happened because my one son was about two years old, my second son. And um, I, I, he was crying, so I went up in his crib um, he was taking a nap in his crib. He probably wasn't two years old, maybe younger than that. And I picked him up, and I put him down. He was just kind of learning to walk. And just as I did that, the Holy Spirit just sort of, and I, I had been walking with the Lord for about two, three years at that point. And as just as I did that, the Lord said, I'm going to do that with you. You've been walking with me on a cloud for the last two, three years. My initial experience. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand what that meant. Because if you would have talked to me back then, I had all the answers. I don't have the answers anymore. I don't have all the answers anymore. I would have told you what you need to do to, you know, get God lined up in your life in the right kind of way type of thing. And all of a sudden, I started going through these these struggles. And it was the normative Christian experience. And, And he was teaching me to trust him. Uh, as I worked through those things, as he was taking the knowledge that was up here and he was moving it about 18 inches down here. And everybody has to go through that. We all have to go through that, that kind of experience where, where, he, where he moves it from head knowledge into life knowledge, heart knowledge. You know, you, sometimes you read uh, some commentators and the Puritans and talk about uh, the experiential life. Uh, and, and, and that's what the, simply they're talking about is the, that, that, that real... Um, where the rubber hits the road kind of experience. You know, where we're hanging on to God's truth and, uh, you know, God is working these things. We're, we're, we're in this, you know, we're struggling. There's a war. Uh, there's things in our lives that, uh, uh, that he's wanting us to put to death. You know, initially we're just sort of lifted, you know, as a new believer, we're sort of lifted and living on this cloud for a certain period of time. Then all of a sudden we're called to put certain things to death. <clears throat> Different experience. And you can hear, you know, his frustration, um, you know, in these verses. He said, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. The I here uh, in verse 17 is a spiritual man. And when he talks about sin in me, he's talking basically about the, whole, the old self. Now, let me tell you this. If you make any holy determination and watch how the flesh will rise up against it. I'm going to commit myself to prayer. Oh, watch how the flesh is going to fight you tooth and nail. You ain't going to pray. (laughs) Or you make a determination. You're going to serve the Lord in a greater way. You're going to commit yourself to some area of ministry. And just watch how the flesh will come up with every excuse. Determination to study the Bible more. <laughs> it's like the flesh. It's like the flesh sometimes just sort of it just sort of sneers at you and laughs at you. And you just watch. You make some kind of holy determination of where you're gonna you're gonna commit yourself to the Lord. You're gonna dedicate yourself in some particular area. And oh, just watch how the flesh is gonna fight you. It'll rise up. And you'll find every excuse not to do it. 
And it's like the, it's like the, 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 the power of sin in human nature. It keeps sabotaging our best intentions. Now, some would say of Paul, Paul, you've got a very poor self-image. But I think his assessment was absolutely right on. Look what he says. I know that is in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Oh, poor Paul. <laughs> there was a Russian poet by the name of Ivan Turgenev. And... Uh, he made this statement. I don't, know if he, I don't know if it was in poetry or whatever, but how true it is. He said, I don't know what the heart of a bad man is like. He said, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like. And it's terrible. <laughs> That's an honest statement. And Paul here is also making an honest statement about his flesh, about his old nature. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. That's why it's important for us to not always be capitulating and giving in to our old nature. It will always take us in the wrong direction. Now he says, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. And here he's speaking about the limitations of willpower. Human willpower. Desires to do good. The problem is they are not, not enough in of themselves. That's why Paul says, he'll say later uh, in chapter 9, it's not of him who wills or not of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. You know, it's not of, you know, it's not of you know, human willpower to accomplish great things. They're not of him who performs, who runs. But it's God's mercy. Willpower is insufficient. Now, we may have, I remember uh, Dr. Dobson talking about the strong-willed child. My goodness, I think they're all strong-willed. But aren't we all? Sometimes the will is more actively strong. But sometimes, you know, another person. And, and, you know, like we can see this in people. Sometimes we can see this in our kids. I had one child that would always say no, then go and do it. I had one child say yes and never do it. Always say yes, but passively disobedient. Human nature. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I, I do not find. Try to accomplish some good thing for God, and you end up in frustration. Feel defeated. Lord, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? I think sometimes as people go through that, they say, Am I really a Christian? <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't even be having the problem if you weren't a Christian. He goes on. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Somebody said of Paul, he must have been a golfer. And to appreciate yet that you have to play golf. I was watching it yesterday. Even the pros. They were playing at Pebble Beach yesterday, and there's this giant cliff that goes down 50 feet or more. And, and one of the pros, he hits it, and it just, you know, just goes the opposite way. and just goes, takes his stick, and, you know, they, they cut the camera away real quick. They didn't want to show us that part of it. Then I think it was um, Jordan Spieth, a Christian. And he whacks one, but goes over into the gallery. And it's just, that's oftentimes, you know, our frustration, isn't it? The good that I will to do. Why, why can't I do it? And the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. He's driving the point home again in verse 20, as he did in verse 17. 
Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, he's not evading the responsibility or blaming someone else. He's basically saying, uh, it's, it's, you know, he's basically saying here, you know, it's not my spiritual desire, but it's my lower nature. It's not my spiritual person. And that's why it's important that if we don't feed the spiritual life in us, that old man's going to take over. If we're just doing, we're thinking carnal things and doing carnal things, you know what? We're feeding that old man. And he, and, and that he, will, he or she will just take over again. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in Bible study. We need to make sure that the things that we are thinking. What, what, what is it? The, the proverb says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever it is that we are thinking, allowing to come in and to occupy our hearts and minds, that's going to work its way out our fingertips. It's a law of nature. And a five-minute devotional in the morning ain't going to do it. Ain't going to do it. Because this world's bombarding us. Bombarding our children. I, I have a great concern for my, my grandchildren. For the youth. That's one, of the, that's one of the reasons why I think every prayer meeting that we uh, are involved in prayer, we're praying for the youth. Lord, we need a, we need a breakthrough. We, we need a revival. I, I think of just the tens of thousands of kids that are in the Rochester area and the uh, suburbs. And I know, that, I know that not all of them are going to get saved. But you know, I keep praying, Lord, give us a remnant. Give us a remnant. Lord, just give us 10%. The way this world is going, unless God intervenes. Do you know about every 50 years is a revival? Roughly speaking. That has happened all the way through history. When you look at Christian, you look at history since the, since the inception of the church. And that's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? If he didn't do that, the church would die. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you what, we need a fresh infusion of power. Amen? Amen. And that's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that. Pray that for us. And I always pray that, Lord, start with us. Start with us. Don't start and end with us, but just start with us. That's what we need. We need, we need that, that, that power from on high. Now, he discovers here a principle in verse 21, a principle, a truth, a law, you can call that, um, I find in a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. <laughs> that, that even as a Christian, there's a propensity. There's a desire there in wrongdoing to some kind of degree. And if we allow those desires to... to play themselves out in our lives. They will take us away, far away from God. And I would imagine every one of us knows somebody that's happened to. There's a propensity there. That's why Paul, excuse me, is it Paul who says it? Yeah, I think it is Paul who says it. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Actually, there's no neutral ground, is there? One or the other. As a Christian, I can't get away. I, you know, try to live in the world, one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. You're miserable. You're, you're not, you're not, you, you can't be happy. Because it's like you don't have enough of the, the, you know, God's purpose and plan in your life to be blessed there. 
and there's, and there's just a, a grieving and a conviction that takes place because there's too much of the world in us. And you see, whenever God is in our hearts and in our lives, that is always going to manifest itself. And you see that there in verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, the spiritual person. Doesn't it delight you to read the Bible? And the more you, the more you read it, the more you want to read it. But, you know, the fact is sometimes our experience our experience sometimes can be so far from what we read. And if that's the case, don't become so discouraged that you close this thing and stop reading it. We, just need, we need to change. You know, the, the, you know as, as he says there in verse 12, therefore the, whole, the law is holy, commandment, holy, just, and good. The problem isn't the Bible. It's a struggle that we have with our humanity, with our old, the old Adam, the old self, the old nature. Because I think when we first come to Christ and the Spirit of God lifts us so above where we were that we think that the Christian life has to be that all the time. With no struggle, no difficulty, no adversity, no spiritual warfare. And then we get kind of so discouraged, we get sort of upset with God. Or we, de- again, it becomes more internal where we think, well, something must be wrong with me. I can't be like, you know, brother or sister, so-and-so. So I'm just going to allow things to just go their natural way. Can't do that. You can't do that. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my body and my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin which is in my members, in my body. And, you know, sometimes we can just feel, depending, you know, depending on our nature and the temptation, we can just feel it pulling us in this direction. Have you ever had that kind of temptation? I had. I have. <laughs> there are certain things that just sort of like pull me. Because they, they appeal to my old nature. They appeal to a desire in me. I think we have to be so careful we don't give in to those kinds of impulses because if we do, we suffer defeat. We suffer setback. That's why I think Paul said, that's why he said we're soldiers. We're soldiers of the cross. He says what? Fight the good fight. It's a worthy fight. It's a good fight. You know, there's, there's that bumper sticker out there, resist. You see it? You see it out there? Some people have it on their lawn. It's a political statement. But you know what? It needs to be our statement, not politically, but spiritually. We need to resist the, the things that appeal to us, those desires, those struggles that we have. We may lose some skirmishes, but we shouldn't be losing them all. Remember, sin shall not have dominion over us. Deliverance is a prayer away. In this next verse here, this is not a man who has severe, low self-esteem. It's really a recognition of his true condition and his need. Do you ever say this about yourself? 
Verse 24. I hear it all the time there. But you know something? That resonates with me. That resonates with me. Oh, wretched man that I am. It's not low self-esteem. This is a deep spiritual cry. It's a recognition of what's going on in his life, a recognition of need. You know, one of the things I'm going to be glad about when Jesus comes, I can leave this old wretched man behind. It's interesting because you know what the world's into? The world's into self-realization. And only we in Christ can really see what self is made out of. <laughs> and it's an honest kind of a recognition. We can't go beating ourselves up like we're you know, some of the monks of the dark ages. Because of their sin, they began to wrap themselves in thorns and all kinds of crazy things. All they did was make people bleed. Didn't get to the sinful nature. Because <laughs> you know what? The body's not the problem. It's the nature. That's why we need a new nature. You recognize you need that today. Don't leave. Let's pray about that. Let's, let's ask the Lord to do that. He's crying here for intervention. You know, I think it's only as we understand the deep needs that we have Will we ever really have a prayer life? We find ourselves more in Lord, Lord, intervene. Lord, work in my situation, work in my life. Lord, work and help this brother, this sister. Because you know the fact of the matter is, folks, we are with this, you know what this church, you know what church is? It's God's therapy group. We're all fellow strugglers. Everybody's got a spiritual Achilles heel here. <laughs> I have a real Achilles heel. But notice what he says here. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Now notice what he's not asking for. He's not asking for a program. He's not asking here for a formula, for a method. He's saying who, not what. Because that's the, that's the question of our culture. What will deliver me? I mean, when you look at all the self-help programs and books and things that are out there, oh, I just need a new program. And there's something in our human nature, too. We're always looking for some kind of formula. Paul says, who? It's a person, not a program. And it's, he's the only one that can rescue us, the only one that can change us, and the only one that can fix what is broken in us. Humanity, all of humanity, we're born broken. And we try to navigate through life as best we can, educate ourselves the best we can, do the best we can. But it's only till we meet Jesus Christ will that broken area of our life be fixed. When He fills the heart, when He fills the life. And it doesn't mean we're perfect after that but it means we're made right.
We're, we're brought into alignment with him where we can even understand what Paul is speaking to, you know, about here and relate to it and, and resonate with it. Yes, I recognize that there, there are things in me that I can't fix. And, and you know, one of the things that you come to understand that why the Lord allows us to have struggles and trials and difficulty is, you know something, all of those things are a vehicle. They're a vehicle to bring us closer to him. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, what are you saying here? With all my heart, with all my soul, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. And I think sometimes this very last part of chapter 7 has been taken out of context. When Paul says, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So does that mean we just do whatever we want to do? Yeah, I want to serve God. That, that was one of the problems that docetists, you know, that let the body do what the body wants to do. But as long as you kind of serve God with your mind. And I think what Paul is simply saying here, I, I think this verse here allows for our failures, but it encourages us to get back up and back in the race and follow him when we fail. Amen. I just want to read this in closing. By an author and a pastor. The guy's name was Ray Stedman. Ray Stedman was actually... Um, Chuck Swindoll's pastor and mentor. He's got a number of books out. I really like his, his writings. <clears throat> and he says this. He says, alcoholics, smokers, drug addicts, all know their struggle. They want to quit. They determine to quit, but they can't. The addicted person knows he may lose his family, his reputation, his career, even his life. Yet he is powerless in the grip of sin and addiction. Those who struggle with homosexuality, with other sexual sins, feel the same way. They find it hard to say no to their old lifestyle, even though they desperately want to. Those who struggle with anger and rage experience the same struggle. So do those who struggle with habits of overeating and gambling or some other destructive behavior. No matter what our area of sin or habit, we are weak. We are helpless to change by willpower alone. This is the struggle Paul describes. That is the struggle of the Christian life. Many Christians resent the fact that we have to struggle against ourselves throughout life. They think God should take this struggle away and remove temptation so that they will never have to struggle again. And when the struggle goes on and on, some people become dis disappointed with God because he doesn't take them out of the struggle. We all identify with that struggle. But as we come to Romans chapter 8, we see that Paul does not leave us there. He wants us to know that the struggle does not have to defeat us. It can be resolved. He is going to tell us in this last verse of seven, uh, Romans 7, Paul gave us his triumphant cry. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And of course, we are going to uh, look at the first part of Romans 8 next week. And Romans 8 is the one chapter in all the Bible that you will find the most references to the Holy Spirit. And folks, that is the answer. We need God's spirit, God's power in our life. And if for any reason this morning, in your particular struggle, and God knows what that is, if you need help, we're going to close here in prayer in just a moment. I would like to have you stand if you want prayer uh, for this. If in your particular struggle uh, and situation, God appreciates our honesty and our transparency. 
I'm already standing. (laughs) Father, thank you for those that have stood. And Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, fellow strugglers. Lord, we're in the fellowship of suffering to different degrees in different ways. But we thank you, Lord, you're the answer. You're the answer, Lord, to the struggles that we have. And how I pray, Father, that as, Lord, you prompt us by the Spirit of God, Lord, as we make any kind of holy determination, that, Lord, you'd make it a reality. Lord, many times we've talked ourselves out of it. We have found excuses and reasons why. But, Lord, we pray you'd help us. Lord, give us victory. Lord, victory over the flesh. Victory over those desires, Lord, that would otherwise defeat us. Lord, we realize we will have failures. We will have setbacks. But, Lord, we don't want our life to be a failure. Lord, we don't want our whole Christian experience to be one of defeat. Lord, you've called us to victory. You said this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And, Lord, we trust you today. We trust you. We praise you. And, Lord, we thank you. We believe that, Lord, you're going to give us that power that we need, that wherewithal, that ability. For, Lord, we do delight in you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we're so grateful and thankful for all that you've done and all that you wrought. And you're not finished, Lord. You've got so much more you desire to do. So help us, I pray. Help us to win this fight. Help us to bring glory and honor to you. Help us to say no to ourselves and to say yes, Lord, to you. In Jesus' name, amen.